Welcome to the Side Hustle Project, a podcast where we explore the nitty-gritty details behind what it takes to start and grow a profitable side hustle. I'm your host, Ryan Robinson, and in this podcast, I'm bringing you interviews with entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, CEOs, investors, and people just like you who are building and profiting from interesting side hustles. In today's episode, we're talking to Laura Roeder, the social media marketing consultant turned founder of Edgar, a social media management tool for small businesses that exploded onto the scene, disrupting the industry with their signature feature that allows you to re-promote your existing content rather than just scheduling a single update at a time. Laura attended the University of Texas in Austin, graduating in 2005, the year before Twitter was launched, and began her work in social media, focusing more on teaching businesses how to use Facebook's new pages to build an audience and attract customers at the time. After seven years of building her social media business to include consulting, client work, webinars, and digital products like courses and ebooks, Laura and her husband, a web developer by trade, teamed up to build a product that automate much of the manual advice she'd been teaching to her clients when it comes to maximizing content promotion opportunities. That's when Edgar was born. In this episode, Laura and I talk about how she validated the idea for Edgar using her existing base of customers and grew the business to over a million dollars in annual recurring revenue in just their first year. We explore the exact marketing channels that helped them acquire their first customers back in the early days of the business and what's working best now, having grown to more than 5,000 paying customers today. We dig into how their fully remote team has continued to release innovative new features that position their product uniquely in an otherwise crowded industry, what they're working on next, and more. As always, you can find everything we mentioned in today's episode in the show notes at ryrob.com slash podcast. That's spelled R-Y-R-O-B dot com slash podcast. Let's get into today's interview with Laura Roeder. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. This has been a long time coming. Um, we were talking just before we hit record. Um, I originally discovered Edgar right around when you guys publicly launched and the product um, was brand new. It has to be about five years ago now. Does that sound Five good? years ago, yeah. Wow, time flies. Yeah. <laughs> So we've got a ton of ground to cover, um, and I do want to rewind, start at the beginning for you. Where are you originally from? I'm originally from Austin, Texas. Aha, okay. Um, Do you remember any of your kind of like early side projects or, you know, maybe childhood businesses that you worked on at a younger age? I did have a business teaching uh, like summer dance classes. I had never attended a dance class myself, but that didn't (laughs) stop me from teaching others how to dance. So yeah, that was ambition. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) And what age was this for you? I was probably like nine years old or something like that. Oh, that's awesome. Oh my gosh. I love it. Okay, so uh, you were you were from Austin. Um, you know, let's talk about your university years. So you go to the University of Texas in Austin. Was that just kind of like the natural evolution of like, hey, this is where I'm from, this is where my friends are going, um, or was there some other reason that led to it? Uh, you know, for me, it was I ended up between uh, UT and Chapel Hill in North Carolina, and it was going to be a whole lot cheaper to go to UT. So there, yeah. there I went. In-state school, right? Yes, in-state tuition funny... was the motivator for me. <laughs> what a funny, like, U.S. little thing right there. Yeah, I mean, 
I actually, my, my parents paid for my um, university, which I'm very grateful for. And actually, I think relates to my entrepreneurship story because it's so much easier to be an entrepreneur if you don't have massive student loan debt. Uh, so I think that's an incredible gift my parents gave me. I didn't realize at the time that they could only afford to do that had I gone in state and I would have just had had a ton of my own debt if I had gone out of state. So if anyone's listening, try to keep your college debt as low as possible is my advice. I would completely agree with you. I'd, I would be in the exact same position. Like my, my parents helped with school as well. And then I had like scholarships that kind of covered the rest of the gaps. And so for me, graduating without college debt too was a huge like difference that allowed me to begin basically experimenting with my own stuff um, right after school rather than saying like, oh my God, I have to pay, you know, 500 bucks a month for the next 10 years in order to get this debt down. That's, that was huge for me too. So let's talk about when you graduate school. Um, 2005 is the year, right? Hmm. Okay. So I'm trying to think of what social media was actually like back then. <laughs> um, so had Facebook launched while I was at University of Texas. You know, Facebook initially rolled out to college campuses. So when I was at UT, um, Facebook did that. They rolled out to UT. And so when I graduated, uh, you know, MySpace was around, Facebook was, was around, Twitter was not around, and Facebook in any sort of business use case was not a thing yet. Yeah. And I, I was trying to think of the math here because I think Twitter launched in 2006, right? Yeah. Six or seven, probably like technically launched in six and then started really getting a lot of users in like 07, 08. And that was what I kind of remembered. Twitter was kind of like the first social platform that businesses really latched onto. Does that sound right? Yeah. At the time there were face, it was called fan pages, Facebook fan pages and Twitter. And yeah, you're exactly right. When Twitter launched, people started being like, Oh, maybe I should be using Twitter and fan pages to promote my business. And that's how I got into teaching social media marketing. At the time I was making websites. My, my business was making websites for local businesses and they would ask me, should I be on Facebook? Should I be on Twitter? What should I do? So I started uh, advising them about those topics. I like that that came naturally too from something you were already doing. Um, so at this time, you know, right after school, social media is in its infancy. You're working on websites alongside kind of testing out social media. Um, when did you decide to kind of like jump full force into what would become your own kind of social media marketing business? So it was pretty early on. So I first started working for myself full-time in 2007. I was a web designer and actually print graphic designer as well for about two years. And yeah, during that time, my clients were getting interested in these things. And for me, that was just something that I talked to them about for free. I actually realized later that what I would talk to my clients about was very different than a lot of designers because I would always talk to them about you know, what's the content that should be on your pricing page? Are you going to have your packages online? How are we going to drive traffic to your website? I just thought that's what you did when you made a website for someone. I found out later that a lot of, especially people positioning as designers, were not, you know, asking any of these questions or talking mm -hmm. about any of the stuff. To me, that was just interesting things that I liked working with people on. And when social media started to become a thing, people kept telling me, you know, I would pay you just to tell me how to use Twitter. I would pay you just to tell me what to do on Facebook. And I thought, well, that sounds like the easiest job ever, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to get paid to tell someone what to do on Twitter. Uh, so in 
2009, really. Yeah. And 2009 is when I really went full force on social media and on online training. I had tried at first to be like kind of a social media consultant. I found I wasn't very good at selling packages and one-on-one services. But as soon as I started doing information products, I remember I did my first information product your backstage pass to Twitter was in, I guess, February of 2009. And I remember I made about $3,000 selling that product. And I was like, oh man, I would have been chasing down a client, you know, for six weeks to try to get a $3,000 contract from like, this, this is amazing. This is, this is a great fit. So yeah, kind of social media marketing and information products and training and all that stuff all kind of came together for me. So let's talk about that first training product. What was it kind of comprised of? Was it like, you know, doing regular calls with you? Was it just video lessons? Was it like worksheets? What did that look like? It was video lessons and worksheets. At the time, I would make it really detailed, which I later found out was a mistake because I would have really detailed videos and screenshots, you know, going through Twitter settings, showing you how to set everything up. Of course, then they would make a button blue instead of green. And then people would be like, I'm confused. I can't follow this video. You know, it doesn't look the same. And I'm like, oh, no. So I actually later learned that it's usually more helpful to keep the training a little more strategic. People get a little lost when you're trying to do like 40 Mm -hmm. (laughs) 40 screenshots. But yeah, I mean, in retrospect, it was way, way too detailed because I think it was eight hour long modules, which is is a lot, lot, you know, just about about Twitter (laughs) and and Twitter marketing. But I think when you start out, you really want to make sure, you know, to give people their, their money's worth. So yeah, I would do... Uh, group classes as live webinars that I would record and then package that into the the training program. And at the time, of course, there wasn't, you know, Teachable or Podia or anything like that. You had to just sort of mm-hmm. put it all together from scratch. How were you hosting that? Was it like on a website of yours? Were you like sending, you know, like an email to everyone with a bunch of attachments? What did that delivery mechanism look like back then? I would use WordPress plugins. Like I think one of them uh-huh. was Gate. And so you would have to just sort of build your own WordPress site and, you know, just give... I remember I used to try to make it seem like it was a unique password because, you know, of course it wasn't a unique <laughs> password, but I would like send an email and be like, your password is like kj seven. Four eight, you know, so it would seem, <laughs> so it would seem like it was their unique password. But really, of course, if you had that password, you could just access the course. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious! Wow, so funny. It's come a long ways today with the the Podias and Teachables of the world. Yeah, it's a lot easier now. <laughs> Okay. So you, you start to then kind of like go from being, you know, working on social media marketing yourself, training people on how to do it as well. Um, you know, let's fast forward to, let's say, you know, the year 2014 ish, right. When you, when you start to work on Edgar and at the time, I'm trying to think of this landscape here, Buffer, Hootsuite, these companies had already been around for years, right? What, what kind of made you want to build your own tool in this space? So Edgar was and still is actually pretty different than the other tools. So Edgar came actually directly out of something that I was teaching people, a whole system for social media marketing, where I would teach people to keep a database of their content and their status updates so that they could repurpose them. 
uh, because it's it was the same then as it is now. It's it's just worse now of the the tiny visibility that you get on social media, right? And only a tiny percentage of people who follow you see anything that you post. So you really need to make sure that you're linking to your content either through a variation of the same status update or the exact same status update. You need to do it more than once. And, and another big thing that people need to do differently is make sure they link to their old content. So many people spend, you know, as you know, blood, sweat, and tears creating this amazing blog post. They link to it the first week it's live and then just never again on social media. And it's just a huge wasted opportunity. So I had this whole process with putting your status updates in different categories, keeping them in a spreadsheet, but you had to copy and paste the update you know, to a tool like Buffer or Hootsuite. And I'm like, why do the tools not keep a database of my updates? This seems so weird that I have to keep my own spreadsheet. Um, and it's still that way, by the way, with, um, with Buffer and Hootsuite. They basically just kind of send out the update for you. But Edgar allows you to repurpose the update. Edgar also does some cool things like we automatically uh, grab pull quotes from your articles, which you know, you were telling me you haven't seen Edgar in a little while, so you probably haven't seen this this feature. This is newer. Uh, you just put in a blog post. We grab pull quotes for you automatically to use those as your status updates, grab the images and videos automatically. So, yeah, so there was a lot at the time, just a lot of functionality that was not being addressed by the social media tools that were out there. Yeah, and I remember, so I, I started using Edgar, as, as we were talking about before we hit record, um, right around when you guys launched, I became a customer for several years. Um, and, and I remember feeling this like absolutely mind-blowing sort of sensation when I, when I first signed up. I was like, wait a second. How do these other tools not do this? This right. is like such an obvious thing that people need to be doing, right? Like that's coming from kind of a content promotion standpoint mm. too. Like that's something I've always cared a lot about, right? Like, man, there's there's so many wasted opportunities as far as people throwing out a tweet one time for a new article versus keeping it going. I love that. It, it seemed so obvious, but also like so deeply valuable. Um, how long did it take you to go from kind of having this original idea to getting an MVP ready and, and to market? Oh man, I'm trying to remember. So, so I worked with uh, my husband, Chris, he's a developer. So he built the initial version of Edgar mm. and I guess, I guess he worked <laughs> on it for about probably like six to nine months full time um, to get it to launch just, just all by himself. So it wasn't, you know, as far as software goes, so I guess it was pretty manageable that time frame. Man, that's pretty impressive. So what was he doing at the time? Was he able to, you said, work on this full time? He was because he was, um, he was a freelancer. So he didn't have to like quit a job or anything like that. Like he had, you know, he had room and a schedule. So we just both uh, worked on it full time. And he also, I mean, he, he was very experienced already when he built this and he really taught me the importance of launching as quickly as you can. So whenever I would want to add something, he's like, we can add it post-launch. We can add it post-launch. You know, that's not MVP. That's not MVP. So, uh, you know, creep. <laughs> No scope creep, exactly. He really knew the importance of just getting getting it out there so that people could see it, people could interact with it. You know, we could we could see if if this thing was going to be valuable, if it was going to work. Do you remember who your very first paying customer was? No, I wish. I feel like I'm going to have to go look that up after <laughs> after this interview. I do remember some of our early testers because I had. Um, 
some friends of mine that, you know, had access to the the beta version before we actually publicly had it for sale. Um, and they were actually using it, right? And that's always such an amazing feeling. Sometimes you give people access to a beta thing and they're like, okay, I'll check it out, but they don't actually use it. But ours were actually using it, which was just a great early, early signal for us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So once you guys do launch publicly, um, moving out of the beta period now, um, how were people discovering the product in those very early days? So I had already built an audience because when I launched, you know, I had already been running, like we discussed, the the social media training business, which is called LKR Social Media. Um, I'd been running the training business for, uh, you know, five years or so at that point. So I, I was in a really advantageous position. I wasn't launching into a void, you know, the way a lot of software companies have to. But I think it's interesting. So that was a huge advantage. But five years later, I see that the advantage was a little different than a lot of people think. So a lot of people have this idea that that allowed us to just get, you know, all of our customers right away. But I know that that's not true. Because when I look at that first year, I mean, we grew quickly, we we reached a million in annual revenue 11 months after launch. So like, don't get me wrong, we grew quickly. But we also grew like in stair steps every month of that year. You know, it's not like we just opened the doors and then we had thousands of customers that first month, which would be the case if it was just like, okay, here's the list. And now anyone from this list who's going to buy is going to buy right now, you know? So even though we had big success in the first year, it was like, you know, first month, 10 people, then 50 people, then 100, then 200, then 500. And I've found that that audience and that thought leadership that I built has been and still is really valuable for me, but it's kind of more about the relationships and the doors that it opens and the cred that I have now. I mean, even just being on a podcast like this, right? I I have this history established of someone who, who knows what they're talking about, right? You can Google and find podcasts that I've done and articles that I've written and press about me and all that good stuff. So I think actually that side was and has been more valuable than necessarily that like those numbers that we had when we launched. Yeah, it helps you build momentum maybe faster than someone else who's starting out cold. Yeah, definitely. I like that. I mean, I love these stories though, where where someone who launches a product already has an audience that they can, at the very least, like learn from and get feedback from. Like, right. you know, maybe you're not going to get a ton of customers immediately, but I feel like in the very early days of a product, the most important thing is really just working directly with those customers and seeing how they use it, what they like, what they don't. Um, how has Edgar really, you know, changed over five years? Is, is it largely the same product or is it completely different? It is largely the same, you know, because we still are believers in that same workflow of just making it really easy to keep distributing and redistributing your content. Uh, Some of the rules of the social networks have changed. Like a, a big change for us was you can't repeat the exact same status update on Twitter um, they changed that the year before last, I think. So uh, we had to make some changes for our workflow and our app because before you could, you know, with Edgar repeat the exact same status update. But 
it doesn't really matter whether it's the exact same update or not. You know, what we're teaching entrepreneurs is still the same of, it's basically just a way to promote your content library, right? If you are someone who creates content, social media is a great way to get that content shared, to drive eyeballs to that content. Edgar is a way to automate that process. So that's always been the core of what we do. Some of the logistics and the details and the functionality have changed or improved a little bit, but that's still the core of what we do. I like it. So let's talk about, you know, revenue, customer numbers, maybe even just a ballpark figure if you're comfortable sharing. Um, What does Edgar's business look like today? Yeah, so we're at a few million in uh, annual reoccurring revenue. We have over 5,000 paying customers right now. Jeez, that was fast. Um, You guys have grown very, very quickly, actually. Uh, That was more customers than I thought. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's funny because when it's your own business, you're always like, that sucks. (laughs) You always want it to be. (laughs) The grass is always greener, right? Right, but yes, thank you you for um, acknowledging that. You know, we... No, that's impressive. Yeah, we have created something and, you know, it's cool to think of the thousands of people that that we're able to help. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, one thing you mentioned, um, the variations feature, it's actually something that, that I didn't use myself, um, but I was doing some research about this and this also looks awesome. Another kind of like mind blowing feature for me, um, you know, basically as you described, right. You know, when, when you paste in a link to something, um, Edgar will automatically kind of like write and schedule content based on like scanning that article that you want to share, right? Was was that a difficult feature for you guys to build? It sounds crazy. Well, so it was, we were a little intimidated by it at first, but what's actually really cool about it is we're, ac- it's, it's all pull quotes. So it's in your own language. So we use some machine learning to see what's going to be uh, the best. Like, you know, for example, a sub headline usually isn't going to make sense as a pull quote because it's not actual like content, right? It's sort of like describing the content that that's going to come. Um, but what's cool about pull quotes, cause we looked into this a lot because we're like, how can we, you know, how can we write status updates for people? Obviously this is a huge pain point. Like they have their blog posts, but they need to write status updates. And we looked into all the tech for, Uh, writing something, you know, like those of us who have been on the internet a while, remember article spinners where they would, you know, output that just like terrible (laughs) gobbledygook. And a lot of the tech is still like that. If you're trying to get AI to write, you know, a summary, for example, it's not very good, but a poll quote is just a direct quote from the article. And what's cool about a poll quote is it makes a lot of sense for other people's work as well. You know, it makes sense for your own post, but you would also pull a pull quote from someone else's post. And when it's in quotes, it doesn't seem strange that you're just directly quoting what's in their post. So once we figured out that was the direction we wanted to go, um, it was you know, a little more uh, in-depth than, than some other things we've programmed, but our, our team did an amazing job and, and pulled it off. Um, and it actually works. You know, I, of course, use it. I don't know. We give you five and I don't always use all five, um, but I often do. Like, it's actually kind of amazing to me, you know, when you because you just hit that button and then the variations mm-hmm. just come up. And I'm like, oh, I can actually use all these. This is this is really cool. <laughs> so what's coming next for Edgar? What should we expect to see out of you guys over, say, the next year? 
Well, something that has been asked for a lot is just that people want to be on all the major social networks. So we held off on Pinterest for a long time um, because obviously it's image oriented and it's a little different than what we done bef- we had done before. But we are finally releasing Pinterest. I never I never promise dates, um, but that is <laughs> that is in the works very soon, and that you know it's part of a larger trend in social media. Obviously, Instagram is the same. Where Instagram is largely more about the images than it is the text. And so when we launched, it was all about text and the landscape is changing. So we're, we're, we're getting on board too. Yeah. As times change, you have to adapt, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> what would you say is the most painful or maybe even memorable failure you've had with Edgar? Something that kind of like sticks out as a lesson you never want to learn the hard way again. Oh man. I mean, So for us, obviously, a huge challenge has been working with the social networks uh, because we're 100% reliant on being able to post to these other tools. And before I started this business, I imagined that we'd have some sort of contact at those companies. We don't. (laughs) They have no interest in us. We are way too small for them. Um, They want to be working with enterprise ad agencies, you know, or or, or some of the enterprise social tools like Sprinkler or Spreadfast. They just like the small business ones is like, they don't care. So um, that's been a... Yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> me too. So I mean that's been that's been a huge challenge for us. Also the social networks are all going towards more um application only partner programs instead of just having open APIs. Mm-hmm. So something that happened to us I guess about 2 years ago at this point uh, they wanted everyone to sort of refresh their partnership applications for posting to Facebook groups. And Facebook groups are actually uh, one of our like biggest and most exciting use cases at Edgar because Edgar allows you to do things like have a Motivation Monday, have a set of five Motivation Monday posts that you cycle through every Monday. Like Other tools can't do this, and it's just a really good fit for groups in particular where you often want to have the same you know, sort of discussion prompts on a weekly basis. So we have a lot of people that love us for groups. Facebook groups is like reviewing their applicants, we get stuck in their review process. There's nothing, you know, wrong with us. We haven't been like denied or anything. We're just in the line and they just like forget <laughs> to get to us. So for I think 3 full months, we just lost our posting access to groups. And there was just like we tried every way of contacting them. We tried like every human we could talk to. It was always just like, "Oh, I think you're going to be approved." soon. Don't don't worry. Some of our competitors had access and we didn't. We're just telling our customers like, we think we'll get it back soon. We don't really have anything we can tell you. Um, And we definitely lost customers over it. I mean, it was just it just sucked. <laughs> it just, That's insane. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was it was just terrible. But you know, eventually we got through and what I tell myself is every every business has a supply chain, right? Like if you are making a physical good, you have manufacturing, stuff gets stuck in customs. If you're an agency, you have the employee who is supposed to deliver and then they just didn't show up to work that day, right? Like these kinds of issues happen in every business. It's really easy to do the grass is greener thing, like you said earlier, to think like, oh, why did we build 
on these third-party tools? Why do I have an agency? Why do I have a physical product business? So I think you just have to have your eyes wide open about the industry that you're in. They all have pitfalls and pros and cons. And this is just what can happen in ours. Yeah. And try and do your best to be prepared, right? But sometimes this, I mean, this one sounds very like unexpected. Yeah. I mean, I really don't think there's anything we could have done differently aside from being based in San Francisco. You know, that's like, that's really the strategic move that if we were based in San Francisco and we were going to like all the networking events with all the people, because we're bootstrapped, we're not in VC world, we're not in Silicon Valley world. We've seriously considered like, should we hire someone in San Francisco just for this purpose to get plugged in? But I mean, everyone that I've talked to just says, if you're not enterprise, it doesn't really it won't really do you much good. Anyway, if anyone listening has other advice for me, I am super open to hearing how to solve this problem because it is it is a pain point. Yes, I agree. All right. Well, Laura, the last question I want to ask you, um, what would you say has been the best investment you've ever made in the context of growing your business? This can be in the form of time, money, tools, products, services, or otherwise. I mean, ev- every single person, right? So the best investment is definitely every single person on our team because they're the people that make the business work, right? And we have we have a point of view at Edgar about how people are paid, right? Because when you're especially when you're in the software world, like engineers are paid a lot of money. It is it is a high paying career, it's a lucrative career. So we talk to our team about how the amount that you are paid reflects industry norms for your job, it does not reflect the value that you add to the business. Because I do not believe that a software engineer adds more value to our business than someone who works in HR or operations or customer service or marketing, right? Like every single person is integral to serving our customers and the success that we've had. So yeah, the best investment is every single person who's on the team today. I love that philosophy. All right. Well, Laura, thank you for joining us. Can you tell everyone listening where they can go to learn more about you, Edgar, and everything you guys are up to? Yeah. So you can go to meetedgar.com or meet Edgar on any of the social medias. Uh, You can use the coupon code podcast, all caps, and that will get you a month free in Edgar so that you can check him out and see all these cool features that we've been talking about without having to pay any money. See if you want to use Edgar. Awesome. We'll include that in the show notes as well. Laura, thank you again for joining us. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode of the Side Hustle Project, I would love your support. Head on over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating. And as always, you can catch every episode of the Side Hustle Project on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.